you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to my Ruby story. This week, I'm talking to Mindogas Mozuras. Um, I think I got close on that name. I, I, I'm yes, pretty impressed with myself. Yeah. Um, now... Uh, we talked to you uh, a while ago on Ruby Rogues, and I'm, I'm going to look up which episode. I don't have it right in front of me. But uh, anyway. 270-something. Yeah. Do you want to just give a brief introduction, and then we'll we'll dig into this? Okay. Uh, so, like, like you said, my name is Mendoas, and I come from Venus, Lithuania. I work at a company called Vinted. I'm, I've started uh, here as a software developer writing Ruby uh, five and a half years ago. And now I'm head of engineering. I've also written this open source project called Pronto, uh, which we talked about in that Ruby Rogues show. Uh And uh, today, uh, as head of engineering, I'm mostly focused on people's problems and not, not code problems. It's funny how that progression happens. And by the way, you are on episode 251, Automating Code Reviews. Ah. But um, yeah, it's interesting how the progression happens. I mean, initially when we're junior developers, we're all all focused on those technical skills and how do I do this thing? And then you progress and you become a senior developer and you realize that you need the other people on your team. And so it's, okay, how can I work well with these other people to get the things done? And, you know, you're still working on those technical skills, but it almost becomes secondary the more senior you get or as you become a team lead or a head of engineering or whatever, right? Then it's, okay, how do I get the most done and keep my people happy and take care of them and take care of the company's needs and all of that? And yeah, anyway, the the, the, the change in focus is really uh, interesting. And the more I talk to people now who were, you know, newish or, you know, had been doing things for a few years Back when we started Ruby Rogues, which was almost seven years ago, um, you know, yeah, they're much more interested in the people problems and the organizational problems and the the code organization and and like how I actually write the code that does the thing becomes so much of a secondary concern because if these other things aren't working well, then it all comes back into how the code works and how everything comes together. So it's interesting to hear you talk about, yeah, mostly I focus on people issues these days. Exactly, and uh, you you're absolutely right. That that progression is. Uh, I think that I've, well, for me, I was always a bit focused on what's the best way for me to uh, solve the problem, 
I remember my at university uh, during uh, some of the lectures when I was not listening to them. Uh-huh. I remember reading books like uh, People Wear and Mythical Man Month. And I think those books really inspired me to look at, you know, how do I solve the problem and not how do I write the most code, let's say. Right. And I, and, I, and, I, and I don't think that it's, you know, natural for technologists to go in that direction. I think I, I, I have multiple senior developers in my team who don't necessarily, are, you know, want strongly want to to learn communication skills right and they're you know they're asking me or some other ups or some other leads how do i make progress how do i grow and they're looking for an answer that involves technology Uh but uh, that's not the answer well i think a lot of that's a function of how the industry has kind of grown over the last 20 years or so um i mean back in the 80s um, unless you were building like an operating system like Windows or you were working on some large system, you could almost get by just building up your own thing. And if not that, then at least you were working on your own little piece of the bigger thing. And now software has become so much more complicated and so much more interconnected because of the Internet that we are forced to communicate with other people. Huh, that's That's a very good point. Yeah. The other thing is, is we didn't have as many mechanisms for communicating with other people. I mean, you're in Lithuania. I'm close to Salt Lake City, Utah. And, you know, so we could conceivably, you know, form a team and work together where that wasn't really an issue before. But then our communication has to be that much better because um, if I walk up to a whiteboard and start drawing on it, I have to point a camera at it first. And then we have to find a way to share that information when it's all said and done. And so... It it drives it drives this need for co- uh, continuity in our communication, and it, it's an interesting it's an interesting world that we live in now. Where yeah, we our communication just really drives the rest of the process. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, we have we at Vinted also have multiple uh, multiple offices. It's not mm-hmm. just uh, it's not just Vilnius, and we you know we're we're struggling to figure out how to best work. Uh, with, with these other teams that are not in business, right. and it's a it's a it's an interesting and uh, and sometimes difficult process. Yep, absolutely. Well, I'm gonna turn the conversation to some of the questions that I typically ask on this show, and then we can come back around to this when we talk about what you're working on today. But the first question that I have is, how did you get into programming? So I'm gonna start this story uh, by talking about how I f- encountered my first first computer. So we didn't have a computer at home, uh, but uh, there was a computer in my father's office. Uh-huh. And he used to bring me uh, to, to his office, and uh, of course I was fascinated by this strange machine, um, and he would let me use it. And at first, I was just playing around with it, just navigating directories, uh, which was was sort of a, a game to me. Uh-huh. I think I was six years old then. Then I started playing around with it, uh, playing games with it. And, uh, you know, it, it, this machine was uh, very fascinating to me. And that that's how I w- was introduced to, to my first computer. 
Okay. Eventually, we got a computer at home, and I was brought up in an in an environment where I was all where I always had toys or games that were somehow connected to building, you know, Legos and such. Uh huh. You know, connecting these two things, like the, the, these interests in computers from early on, and my interest in building. I think it was only a matter of time until I came around to to programming. I don't remember the exact moment when I wrote my first line of code, but uh, I think it happened just by, you know, searching around on Alta Vista, maybe by then, or maybe it was already Google, on how, how to build a game. Uh-huh. And, and then there was a class in school that taught us to, you know, write Pascal. And then there was a young programmer school in Vilnius that I also joined. And uh, that's how I found myself developing software. Awesome. So how, how have things changed for you over the last, uh, you know, since then? Because it seems like a lot of times we start up building like little toy apps and then, you know, what, what made it a professional interest to you? It was not obvious to me. <laughs> it was not obvious to me at all that I should uh, make software development into a professional career. I didn't know that was a choice, actually. I thought it was something that I could play around with, that I could have fun with. But for some reason, I didn't think that I could make it into career. My, I think that my parents had an influence here. Uh-huh. Uh, I really thought that I should become like a, like a lawyer or an economist, you know, something, something serious. And uh, because programming was fun, uh-huh. uh, it didn't seem like a, a career choice, you know. Right. Because you don't pick something fun for your career. You pick something serious. <laughs> I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then eventually, uh, I think through my, well, I know through my friend, I learned that it is a career choice. I could go and do this. And, uh-huh. you know, my parents were not as as optimistic about it. Still, back then, it was uh, not very popular. It was, you know, it was growing and becoming more popular, but uh, they, they, they thought it, uh, it to be a risky choice. Uh, but uh, I picked it anyway, uh, and I've started studying software engineering in Vilnius University. Okay. And in my second year in Vilnius University, uh, because I was not uh, the best student, uh, like we talked previously, uh, I've... Uh, I've used to read books during my studies, uh-huh. uh, during uh, during classes. I've decided to find a job. So I found a job during my second year of university. I still finished university a couple of years later. But uh, then I found a job. Uh, in my second year, I found a job as a software developer writing .NET. Oh, nice. So .NET, huh? How did you get into yes. Ruby then? I was curious. And I was reading a bunch of blogs by famous .NET developers. Uh, I was listening to podcasts about .NET. And what I noticed is that they were talking about Ruby sometimes. Um, not always directly, but they were talking about you know, frameworks or libraries like NSpec, MSpec, uh-huh. in, that were inspired by RSpec, let's say. 
and they kept they they kept mentioning oh this is this is this, this cool NSPEC library for testing it's it's amazing and it's inspired by this RSpec thing and it kept happening over and over again uh, so naturally uh, I became interested in this Ruby thing because it seemed to me that this this is where all the fun things were happening uh-huh it is actually Ruby was where all the fun. No, I'm, I'm, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I even got myself into contributing to these to this open source project called Nancy. It's a it's still a web uh, web framework inspired by Sinatra. Uh huh. And I uh, started to contribute to it. That was fun, but it just you know strengthened my will to learn about learn more about Ruby. So I started learning Ruby. I, I think the first book I've read on Ruby is the Pickaxe book, right? Uh, which is, I think, uh, f- fairly famous in the Ruby community. Yeah, uh, it's and uh, I've started going to local uh, Ruby meetups and uh, local conf- uh, the, the, the one Ruby conference that Vilnius had. And that's how I got a bit into Ruby. Oh, nice. Do you, do they still do a Ruby conference out there? They do. They do. I think last year, uh, DHH was the, the key speaker. Oh, nice. That was, that was, you know, surprising and cool. Awesome. So, uh, so you get into Ruby mainly because all this cool stuff's coming in from Ruby into the .NET world. Um, what was it in particular about Ruby that really inspired you or got you excited? Um, I think at first it was the succinctness. I was used to writing, you know, a lot of code uh-huh. uh, to get things done. And with Ruby, you needed far less symbols, words, uh, to, to, to get, to get the same things done. That, that was the first thing that really, you know, got to me and uh, really inspired me to, to, to learn more. Okay. And then it was Rails, obviously, because I've tried out Rails and the difference between what uh, .NET had at the time and uh-huh. Rails was, like, you know, tremendous. It's like, uh, you, you could do with Rails things far, far much faster and felt far, far more powerful. Mm-hmm. How long ago was that that you got into Ruby? I think that was seven and a half years ago. But that, it might not be exact. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Nice. So what are you working on now? You know, before that, I, I, I want to tell a bit of how I got my first Ruby job. Oh, go ahead. I, lo- I love the story. So, yeah, that's perfect. Because they're still, you know... Uh, one thing is to get into Ruby, another thing is to get a Ruby job, especially mm-hmm. in Vilnius, because there are just not so many Ruby comp- companies doing Ruby here. I had this interest in Ruby, so obviously I decided to put Ruby on my LinkedIn profile, because you can put anything there. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, one day while I was working at this other company, still doing .NET, I got a message from uh, from Vinted. 
that was uh, more than five and a half years ago. They were they that message said that they are looking for Ruby developers. I didn't have a lot of Ruby experience, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> but despite that, uh, uh, I got into the interview. Right. And uh, I, I arrived at their office, and uh, Vinted's office at that time was uh, flat because Vinted was 10 people or something similar. And uh, I got to the interview, we talked. Uh, they didn't care too much that I didn't have professional Ruby experience. Uh, it, it was fine. And uh, then I got into a tryout, two-day tryouts with the company to see uh-huh. if there's really a match. So again, I arrived at this flat, I spent two days there. And the second day was really the important one because uh, on the second day, uh, their uh, CEO and their COO uh, got back to the office and they've started uh, talking about the fact that they've just secured an investment, Mm -hmm. the first outside investment. And they, they, they started telling about things that Vinted's gonna build over the next couple of years. And that was the moment that sold me. Right. I was, I was interested in working in a Ruby company, but I was also very much interested in, in working in a company that's gonna do a bunch of cool things over the next couple of years and a company that's going to grow and that's going to have a bunch of challenges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, despite the fact that I didn't know too much Ruby, I still got that job. Right. So they hired you anyway. And they hired me anyway. And now you're the, the, the king of the programmers. Uh, pretty, pretty much. Uh, I wouldn't describe myself that way. I, I think <laughs> that's I'm my a- job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a head of engineering, uh, I don't make uh, too many decisions. I just try to make sure that people, uh, who are, who are more suited to make those decisions, have all the information, all the tool, all the right. tools to make those decisions. No. People don't come to me and ask, uh, which framework we should use, uh, usually they decide for themselves and they, then they inform me. Yeah. Or just they just ask for information. So that's why I'm against the king description. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So is there anything that you've done out there in the Ruby world that you're particularly proud of? Yes. Yeah, yes, there is. Um, when I started working at Vinted, there were developers uh, from various backgrounds at the company. Uh-huh. It was growing fast. Uh and uh, there were not a lot of Ruby developers in Vilnius. So the goal was, and that's something that we still use, is just to hire the best people. And, you know, if they're really good developers, they'll learn Ruby over the next couple of months and it's all going to be okay. Yep. So there were, there were people um, uh, working at Vinted from various backgrounds. One problem with that was that all of us like to write code a certain way. And uh, we, we got into arguments in our pull requests about white space, 
or uh, you know naming conventions uh-huh. etc and uh, i was i was i was i was the guy who wrote the most comments about white space <laughs> i'm fairly i'm, I'm uh, particular in that way so that was not working because it was annoying to me and it uh-huh. was also annoying to the people that were receiving those comments so the so i decided to write uh, pronto and uh, i think pronto is the thing that i'm most uh, famous in the ruby community for right pronto pronto is a tool for doing quick automated code reviews of, of your changes and the usual workflow with pronto is you make a pull request uh, pronto runs and pronto makes automated comments on your pull requests uh-huh. that 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 was the, the 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 thing that i was uh trying to solve right and and now there are uh, and now pronto works not just with github it works with gitlab with bitbucket uh, and it instead of the three initial runners that i had there's like 40 of them uh-huh and uh I've also now moved Pronto to a GitHub organization, so there are more people uh, working on it. More people, more people working on it, not just me. Okay, very cool. So where do people find it? I know we talked about it on the show, but where do we find it? You can find it at GitHub. It's uh, github.com slash Pronto Labs slash Pronto. Nice. Very cool. Um, so yeah, so... We've talked a little bit about what you're working on now. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up as far as uh, things that you've done? Or, you know, maybe you have some great story about something you did or something you went through with, uh, you know, in in your career? Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about uh, a moment, well, more than a moment, one and a half years ago at Vinted. Um, We were facing... uh, a, a difficult situation to say the least. Uh-huh. Uh, so we were losing money, uh, a lot of money every month. And uh, looking at our financials, uh, if uh, things uh, didn't change, uh, the company would be uh, out of business months from now, months from then. Right. So we needed to, 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 change things and uh, we decided to do a complete strategy change uh-huh. and as part of that strategy change we needed also to do a reorg and reorg uh, in the business world is i think code for firing people usually yeah so in this case it was also true it, it was not a situation where we were firing people that were performing badly right it was a situation where we had to say goodbye to 20, 30% of employees that we like very much. And uh, it's just, we failed as a company a bit and now we have to make some changes. Right. So I think that was the most uh, difficult period of, of my career ever. Because I had to talk with some of those people uh, directly and say to them, 
you know, it's uh, it's it's difficult, but you know, we have to say goodbye to each other. Uh huh. I think through tr- it, through this, through this, and through some other moments, I've I really learned what it means to be a manager and uh-huh. what it means to be a productive manager. Right. I think like the most difficult question for me after I became head of engineering was, am I still pr- productive? Am I doing anything useful here? Right. As a developer, it's it was very easy to measure my own productivity. Uh-huh. I write I write some code. Uh, I make a commit. I make a commit. I run some tests. There's a green light saying to me that it's all good. I make a pull request. Uh, people comment on that pull request. Emerge it. Things go out into production. I'm I'm being productive, you know. Right. Um, as a as a manager, there is no green light <laughs> saying that's everything good. Uh, you you do some things and you find find out if you're doing well uh, a month from 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 now. Right. You, know, you 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 give some feedback to someone, and maybe a month later, you see that that feedback worked. But uh, yeah, it's 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 far more far more difficult uh, to me- to measure that, and it was the most difficult thing for me to deal with after after I became head of engineering. That's that's really interesting. It's and I've I've experienced some of the same things, you know, running a business around podcasts and things like that. And with me, it's 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 even more amorphous because my job is basically anything <laughs> that has to get done. And so, yeah, it's like, am, you know, am I doing the right things? Am I working on the right things? Am I making the kind of difference I need to make? And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's how profitable is it, right? And for you, it's, yeah, how much are we getting done? Are we getting the right things done? Am I taking care of my folks? And there really aren't always good subjective measures for that. Yep. Yep. Totally. So how do you cope with that? How do you figure out, hey, so I'm doing a great job as a team lead or a head of engineering? Well, on one level, I have a bunch of high-level metrics that Uh I follow. Uh, But truthfully, I don't think there's a recipe. Uh, You just have to learn to live with this new state of – with this new state where there is no – constant feedback there is no dopamine rush you're just uh, working in a different way yeah and i don't think there is just you know i cannot pinpoint to one thing that i've changed that helped me it's just i've got used to it Mm -hmm. i mean you mentioned that you have some metrics and i think that's a good start i mean that's that's kind of where i wound up too you know there's some things that you know i can measure that tell me that the right things are at least happening you know, mm-hmm. for a lot of the rest of it, though, yeah, it's okay. Well, you know, uh, I kind of measure myself on how well everybody else is doing because I don't have anything else. Yeah, it's it's tough. Yep. Awesome. Well, it's it. I really, I've I've been considering, and if the listeners want this, just let me know. I do have a a place where you can go and suggest podcasts that you want me to make, but one of the ones that I've considered making is one for uh, development managers, and. You know, it's essentially, yeah, it's these discussions, right, where it's, okay, you know, y- you have a hard job, um, you know, here's here's something that may help you know what you need to do. Yeah. 
because yeah, as a software developer, nobody trained me on how to be a manager. They just wanted crap done. So it was like, here's how you deal with this technology. Yeah. And so you have to figure it out on your own. And I think that there's still, there's still not enough resources out there for software development managers, engineering managers, however you call them. Uh huh. Like when I look at the, let's say conference landscape, there's probably, you know, 10 conferences for React in Europe. Uh huh. Probably, you know. Oh, yeah. I know one, I know one conference for engineering leads in Europe, and that's Lead Dev. And then there were a bunch of meetups in Vilnius for various kinds of developers, uh -huh. but there's, there was really no place for people to go to learn about leadership. Right. So I've actually created that meetup here in Vilnius. It's called Vilnius Tech Leads. So now there's, there is something there. And what I've seen is it's, it's, it's only been, it's only been half a year, uh -huh. but the interest is, you know, very strong because there are a bunch of people doing this uh, leadership thing and they don't always have people they can talk to. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, so what I'm saying is, yes, do that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll definitely think about it. Um, I don't know if I would do a panel or not. I kind of like the idea of a panel for that one, but yeah. Anyway, we'll have to think about it. But yeah, I appreciate the feedback. But and I also no I also understand. I mean, it it is it's it's a tricky job, and there's so many things that go into what constitutes success for you that sometimes it's hard to really know what to optimize. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save ten percent on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Right, I do. Uh, and since I'm a, an avid a book reader, it's three books. Awesome. Well, first of them is actually... The first pick is actually more than one book. It's a book series. It's called The Expanse by James uh, S.A. Corey. And uh, the latest book, the seventh book in the series, uh, really surprised me. So that's why I'm picking it. Uh, before the seventh book, uh, I thought the series was kind of running out of steam, uh, but now it really... Picked up, picked up again, and it's it's really strong. It's a great science fiction uh, series. 
And I recommend uh, reading it to anyone who's interested in that sort of thing. The second book and the second pick is a book I've been reading for uh, last half year. It's called The Food Lab. Uh-huh. Uh, the full name is The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. So uh, I was not a very good cook. I didn't used to make a lot of food myself at home. So I decided to change that. And I've searched for a book and I found this book, The Food Lab. And the guy who's written it, Kenji Lopez-Alt, is, uh, is a self-proclaimed nerd. And he approaches uh, co- home cooking uh, uh, with, uh, with nerdery. <laughs> and nice. with, uh, yeah, and he, he explains, uh, you know, minuscule details about what happens to proteins when you uh, pour, on, pour on some salt. Um, and it's that kind of uh, approach really works for me. Someone c- coming from a software engineering background, uh, someone who's used to knowing how the bits work. Right. And the third book, uh, it's the, the effective engineer. And that's the book, uh, I've, I've now, I'm now recommending as a, as a great book for anyone who's who's at the start of their software development career. It really explains what it means to be an effective uh, developer. It's just, it doesn't focus on the, you know, technical skills, but it focuses on that you need to solve a problem. You need to make uh, something happen and, uh-huh. uh, you know, to, to have an effect. So that's my three picks. Awesome. Well, I don't want to uh, take away anything from picking books, so I'm going to pick some books. <laughs> um, one, one of my uh, favorite books as far as management goes is called Procrastinate on Purpose. And um, he talks through the different stages that you go through with um, basically getting more done or, or getting more done with less. Um, a lot of it, which is really interesting to me, comes down to, you know, he talks about delegating and automating and what's interesting is, is that we as programmers, I mean, automating is essentially what we do, right? You have a business process yeah. or something of value that somebody else wants done. And so you write code to automate that. Now, they may still have to come in and manually kick off that process or manually make the data changes or whatever. But then all of the the rest of the tracking and stuff happens in the code in the database. And so what I found is that that was an especially empowering book because I, I looked at a lot of things and realized, you know what, there are a lot of things that we as developers do that could be automated. And I mean, we even talked about it with you with, you know, the code reviews and things like that. But I think a lot of times we kind of shortchange that idea and just think, oh, well, you know, I, I don't know if I can automate that. I don't know if I should automate that. And the reality is, is that um, that's what we do and that's our strong suit. So why not automate the parts of the development process and other things that we uh, otherwise don't really think about as automatable? But also just with, you know, delegating and, you know, all of the other pieces, you know, what don't I have to do is often a a more empowering question than what do I need to do. Um, And so, yeah, you just dig into this book. It's it's awesome. And if you're a development manager and you're trying to figure this stuff out, 
um, it's terrific because you'll start asking these questions about your team and, okay, what don't we need anybody to do? What could we delegate? You know, where could we maybe pull in a junior developer that we could delegate some of these things to so that the senior developers can do what they really shine at? You know, and then you get junior developers that are figuring your system out um, and getting trained at the same time and you're not paying them as much. And, you know, so you have all these things going for you in that vein. Anyway, um, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Another one that I'm going to pick is the 12 week year, which is more of a time organization book. Um, so, and, and I think this is really useful for teams. So essentially the idea is, is that you break your year down. Um, so instead of your year being 52 weeks, it's 12 weeks. And so you, you plan every quarter of the year instead of every full year because a lot of organizations what they do is they have some idea of what profit and things they want to make at the end by the end of the year and so what happens is you get to november and then everybody's in crunch mode for november and december and and then they hit their goal so why not just do that for you know for that um october november december over and over and over again and get all that stuff done and then a you're not as stressed because you know what it's only a 12-week year and b you know, you're getting way more done because you're focused on what you need to be focused on. So, you know, you can have everybody plan out their, their 12 weeks. And anyway, I've, I found it to be an extraordinary book. So I'm going to pick that one as well. Um, and then I guess the last uh, pick that I have is um, I've been working really hard to finish the recordings for or the re-recording of my Get a Job course. And I've actually added a couple of videos that I didn't have before. So if you are looking for a job as a developer, they are somewhat focused toward um, early developers. But if you're a senior person and you're still having trouble finding a job, I mean, I have all kinds of strategies for getting in the door and, you know, looking good. You know, most of the stuff that's geared toward the, the junior developers or brand new developers that have never had a job is more about like showing people that you have the experience that they need um, and, and kind of making filling in that gap as much as you can. Um, but most of the rest of it, in fact, the entire course is just a strategy. What, what company do you want to work for? What kinds of companies do you want to work for? How do you get their attention? Um, once you have their attention, how do you get them to bring you in for an interview? How do you get, you know, how do you ace the interview? And then how do you do the negotiation afterward? Um, and so, you know, that applies to anybody trying to find a programming job, but yeah, there's specific advice in there for junior people, um, because they're generally the ones that are asking me this more than senior people. Most senior people in the field know other people, and so they just talk to the people they know, and they'll find another job somewhere else. But if you're having trouble finding a job that you really like, then you may want to buy the course just for the first module that says, okay, what kind of a job do you want? And then how do you actually figure out if the companies around you are the kinds of companies that you're actually looking for? So there's, there's stuff in there for everybody. The last module is how do I get better? Um, so if you're looking for that, you can pick that up as well. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just going to shout out about that course. Um, Mendogas, if people want to follow you on Twitter or read your blog or anything like that, where do they go? Uh, they can go to uh, github.com slash mmozuras. That's the first letter of my name and then my last name. Uh, the same goes for Twitter and people can find me at codingfearlessly.com. That's, that's my blog and there are links to our stuff by me there too. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you to spell M. Mozuras so people know where they're looking. Yeah, it's M M O Z U 
R A S. Yeah, we'll have it in the show notes as well, folks. But um, I know some people are listening and they're probably like, I just want to punch in my phone now. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. I want to make I want to make one quick correction. I was multitasking while uh, listening to your picks. Oh no! And <laughs> sorry, sorry. And uh, actually, it was not DHA speaking at last year's RubyConf in Lithuania. It was Tenderluff. Oh, okay. Uh, I want to get that right. <laughs> Aaron makes me laugh. He does. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us. And thanks for making us think a little bit more about uh, management and hiring and some of these other things, as well as just, you know, why do we do what we do and, and what kind of developers do we want to be? Because I think I think all of this really just uh, kind of plays together in interesting ways. It does. And it was uh, fun talking to you about these topics. Yeah, you too. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.